Never forget the cost. Never lose the joy. Share it with everyone and anyone who will hear because this, brothers and sisters, this is what matters most. My friends, if you've listened to this podcast before, you know that we start every episode with a dad joke. And I really wanted to tell you this joke. I heard this joke about an elevator. And I wanted to tell you it, but I'm afraid I won't do justice. It was just so good on so many levels. Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode 201. So great to have you with us. If it's your first time listening, please rate and review this podcast. We'd love for you to do that so other people can find it. Highest compliment you can pay me in this podcast is to share it with your family and friends. And if you want to do that on social media, we're most active on Instagram, at Thought, all spelled out. And you can find all of our contact info, social media, ways to get in contact with us, and as well as all of our content at manafoodforthought.com or manafft.com. While you're there, click on the subscribe button and you can get our weekly Psalm Reflection sent to you every Wednesday. And if you feel so inclined, click on the, click on the give button and you can become a financial sponsor or patron to this podcast for as little as $1 a month. Patrons get perks and access to uh, exclusive talks when they are given. And uh, yeah, it's really wonderful. Thank you to all of you who support the podcast uh, spiritually, financially, praying for us, listening, sharing it with your family and friends. It's always uh, a blessing and a joy to hear that there are people listening to this podcast. Uh, It's really incredible. So uh, yeah, thank you. So let's get into our joy junk in Jesus. Uh, My joy this past week was, it was a Super Bowl. It's the one, one time a year I watched football. Um, and, but what was really joyful about it is both, uh, my in-laws and my parents and, uh, Justine, Levi's godmother were all over at our house and just, it was really a nice time to relax and eat food and enjoy the game. And it was such a good game. Uh, if you saw it, it was just so back and forth and just high intensity and energy. So it was, it's great when that happens. Sometimes the Super Bowl can be kind of a dud in terms of the activity of the game. So yeah, that was great. And, um, yeah. Really liked it. So uh, my junk, uh, it's always really cold in this studio. So uh, I had to turn the heater on. So if you hear some background noise, I apologize for that. So that's a little junky. But the biggest junk from this past week um, is grumpy Catholics. There are, there are too many people I know that are involved in the Catholic Church as volunteers or who are paid or who are ministers, like ordained or religious, uh, across the board at different parishes um, that are just not joyful. Now, we're blessed here to have like really great people on our staff and, and a really great pastor, but um, there are still people who are involved who just suck the life out of the other people in ministry or at the parish. And it just, it, it really, it really hurts to see because they have gifts and they have talents and they're very good at what they do, but their attitude just drives people away. And I just wish I had the opportunity or they had the openness or someone had the opportunity to like shake them and say like, look, you're really good at this, but you seem like you hate it. So if you aren't going to have a joyful attitude and a spirit about this, like go take a break, do something else. So yeah, I hope they hear that. Um, It's just, it's hard to see. Um, And then my Jesus moment, um, on Sunday before the Super Bowl, I had a really wonderful conversation with a couple in my office just about different questions about Catholicism. Uh, and I just, that that openness and that curiosity and that desire to seek truth really just always inspires me and other people that they're, 
they're making the effort to do their due diligence and to dive into the word and to see what's true and what's not and filter through all of the different opinions that are out there and the different interpretations that are out there and find out what is the truth. And so I'm just, I'm so in awe and inspired of that. And it was just a really um, incredible conversation. It was, I felt blessed to be part of it. So yeah. Anyway, let's get into our episode for this upcoming uh, Sunday's readings. We always dive into the second reading for this upcoming Sunday liturgy, which is the first Sunday of Lent. Happy Lent, by the way. I don't know if we say happy Lent. Um, Yeah. I mean, we should be joyful that we are uh, denying ourselves of things that we don't need to sacrifice for the Lord to ultimately lead up to the most joyful season in the liturgical year, which is Easter, which should inform the joy that we have all year. So I guess I can say happy Lent. So uh, if you don't know, if you're listening to this, uh, Lent is a liturgical season. It's part of our church calendar. It's a period of 40 days, not including Sundays, where we um, prepare for the season of Easter by entering into ascetic practices such as prayer, fasting, and almsgiving to deny ourselves to remember that we are mortal and that we will one day die and that our actions and our choices have eternal ramifications. And so we need to, every year, uh, as often as we can, but especially in the season of Lent, reorient our hearts, our decisions, our choices, our passions, so that they are all seeking uh, the glorification of God in our lives. And so uh, that's what Lent is all about. So um, yeah, we have practices where we don't eat meat on Ash Wednesday, Good Friday, the Fridays of Lent. We have practices of fasting where we only have one meal on Ash Wednesday and on Good Friday. And then usually people give things up or commit to doing things, uh, give alms to the poor, serve in some way, uh, above and beyond what they normally do to remind ourselves of of all of those things. So I hope that you, if you don't practice Lent or maybe you were unaware of that, Um, that might be something you involve in your own spiritual life uh, for your own benefit so that you can grow in virtue and in discipline and to root out the things in your life that maybe aren't leading you um, to a place of fulfillment and satisfaction and joy. So that being said, for the first Sunday of Lent, our second reading is from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 22. So Peter here is writing to the early church and he's talking about the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. This is a section in here that is one of the most like difficult to interpret passages by many biblical scholars, and we'll talk about it briefly, but it's really not the, the main point that I want to focus on, but it's important if it comes up in discussion or if you're curious, so I'll say some points about it. So, um, But this is 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 22. It says, Beloved, Christ suffered for sins once, the righteous for the sake of the unrighteous, that he might lead you to God. Put to death in the flesh, he was brought to life in the spirit. In it, he also went to preach to the spirits in prison who had once been disobedient while God patiently waited in the days of Noah during the building of the ark, in which a few persons, eight in all, were saved through water. This prefigured baptism, which saves you now. It is not a removal of dirt from the body, but an appeal to God for a clear conscience. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers subject to him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So the main gist of this passage is that Jesus Christ died for our sins. He died for them once, and that was sufficient, and all of the the, the section in the middle basically points us to the reality of baptism is the way that that happens. Baptism is the way to our salvation. So I'll talk a little bit about that and what I think inspires me to think about this week. But this middle section uh, is uh, Jesus's descent into hell. In fact, if you've ever heard or prayed the Apostles' Creed, uh, when it says that Jesus um, suffered uh, under Pontius Pilate, 
died and was buried and descended into hell, you're like, whoa, Jesus is God. He's good. Why did he go to hell? Hell is a bad place. And most people have learned now, if they've heard that and had that question, that they know that in the original text of the Apostles' Creed, that the word for hell is the word for the place of the dead. And then the Jewish understanding before Jesus came was that there was an abode of the dead and that it was divided by a great chasm. And on one side was the bosom of Abraham, where those who were faithful to God were waiting or they were kind of resting, waiting for the proclamation of the kingdom. And then the other side was uh, the place of suffering. In fact, there's a uh, uh, parable in the Gospel of Luke um, of the parable of Lazarus and uh, the tax collector. And Lazarus is a poor beggar man who, uh, and this tax collector who gives him nothing, they both end up going to the afterlife. And the tax collector can see the poor man Lazarus across the chasm in the good place with Abraham, and he shouts out to him to go and warn his brothers, you know. So there's an actual biblical description of their idea of what this looked like. And so it's because of that and from different passages in First Peter that we have this uh, belief that Jesus, after he died, he descended into the place of the dead to proclaim the gospel to those who had gone before him. And those who were faithful had the opportunity to respond and to believe. Now, it could have been offered to everyone, those who were faithful and unfaithful, because they had not yet been proclaimed the good news and they were given a chance to respond to it. Just like at the very beginning of time, the angels were told a God's plan of salvation or God's plan of creation up into a point, all that they needed to know. And then those who chose to be faithful and take their role in that plan were able to behold God in his beatific vision. And those who uh, were proud and rebelled against God fell and became the devil and his demons. Uh, and so generally the church would interpret this as those souls uh, that were awaiting the proclamation of the kingdom of God. Um, they'd once been disobedient, which means they had turned away. So there is this sense that like, that's what the passage says, that they could have repented. They were not given the opportunity to respond to the good news because uh, it not yet had been had not yet been proclaimed, and so they are given that opportunity in the place of the dead, and their decision becomes permanent. Some people will interpret this differently. Uh, there is an interpretation out there that these these people in the place of the dead or these beings are actually the Nephilim in Genesis chapter six. And if you remember the first four verses of Genesis chapter six, there's uh, mention of these beings who were like fallen angels or divine creatures in some sense that came and mated with humans and and bred these giants. And these giants were around at the time of Noah. And there are uh, descendants of them even up to the time of, of um, the conquest of the promised land. Um, they see these giants called the Nephilim, these great kings of old. Um, and so one of the, the interpretations, what I think is the best interpretation of that, is that um, the sons of man or those who are the sons of God are a differenti differentiation between the lineages of Cain and Abel. And that those who were sinners in the sinful line of Cain, uh, they just happened to be these kind of giant or taller beings because of their genetics or what have you. And so it's talking about like the condemnation of them and how they were disobedient. And some people interpret this passage to say that, okay, those who had been disobedient before might represent these fallen angels. And so it's a place, in fact, there was a book uh, being circulated around this time. Uh, called First Enoch. It's an apocryphal book. It's not in our Bibles, but it has a lot of that language and, and story about what happened to the fallen angels and how that all came about and who those fallen beings who mated with humans were uh, in their interpretation of Genesis chapter 6. So you'll hear all those interpretations. However, none of that reconciles with First Peter chapter 4, verse 6. In the next chapter, Peter writes, For this is why the gospel was preached even to the dead, 
that though condemned in the flesh in human estimation, they might live in the spirit in the estimation of God. So it's clear, if you read all of 1 Peter, the people that Jesus went to proclaim the gospel to were those who had lived in the flesh, who had died in the flesh and had been disobedient to God, and yet were given the opportunity to repent because the kingdom of heaven had not yet been proclaimed, the good news had not yet been revealed to them. Okay? So if you hear that brought up, that's kind of an interpretation of that. There's this really cool, actually, uh, passage uh, from St. Cyril, uh, Cyril of Alexandria in the 4th, 5th century. He's writing a commentary on the Catholic letters, um, and he, he talks about Jesus going into the place of the dead, and he says, Going in his soul, he preached to those who were in hell, appearing to them as one soul to other souls. When the gatekeepers of hell saw him, they fled. The bronze gates were broken open and the iron chains were undone and the only begotten son shouted with authority to the suffering souls according to the word of the new covenant saying to those in chains come out and to those in darkness be enlightened. So that's not church teaching but a super cool dramatic interpretation commentary from St. Cyril of Alexandria from the 4th century so I think that's pretty awesome. Um, So that is all that part of the passage. What I really want to focus on for the rest of this is talking about the fact that Christ suffered for sins once and that all that imagery in the middle of the passage is meant to point to it prefiguring baptism, which is what saves us. And I talk about this a lot, but I think going back to my junk that I shared and just like the lack of joy, the lack of the reality of the Christian life being lived by Christians, like there is a Christian reality, a, a Christian view of the universe and of eternity and of the state of the soul and of salvation that if we really believe it, it should change our attitude in every respect. I mean, it should animate all that we do. It should imbue us with this incredible joy and passion and fervor for the Lord. And yes, we may still struggle with sin, but it should not derail us from having this sense of joy in the Lord. Jesus died just for the chance to save you. Jesus died just for the chance to save you. There was never an assurance that any single person would choose to receive that gift. But when you and I do, we should constantly be aware of two things. If we are Christians and we've responded to the gift of salvation, or if we choose to, we should always be aware of two things, the cost and the joy we should have. The cost was Jesus giving his very life for you on the cross, him dying for your sins, him taking on the punishment and the consequences of your sins on his very flesh, suffering, bleeding, crying out in pain, in agony, because he wanted you in heaven just for the chance to save you. He did it. That was the cost. And the joy, the ramification of that is that we should be abundantly joyful because we are saved. If you are baptized, you have been saved. And yes, you We don't believe as Catholics in eternal security. You can turn away from salvation. You can fall into mortal sin and completely separate yourself from God and say, God, I reject you and I no longer want to walk with you. But when we are walking in a state of grace with the Lord and we have the sacrament of baptism and the gifts and the graces, the fruits of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit manifesting in us in some smaller way, uh, not the full way of confirmation, but if we have all that by virtue of our baptism, That should change everything for us. It really should. Jesus loves you and cares for you so much. He died so he did not have to spend eternity without you. He cared for every single soul, even those who had died, even those who were in prison, the spirits in hell, 
he cared for. Never forget the cost and never lose the joy that we have been given because, brothers and sisters, the bad news is bad, that we are born with a wound. We are born with a woundedness that sin causes that will lead us ultimately to hell, suffering, and destruction. And Jesus did not want that to be the case, so he died to save us. But he does not want to force himself upon us. And so he gives us a choice. You want to know what it takes to be saved as a Catholic? Repent. Repent of your sins. Turn away from them. Believe in Jesus Christ and give your life to him. Receive the gift of salvation in baptism and remain in a state of grace. Repent, believe, receive, remain. Repent of your sin. Believe in Jesus Christ. Receive salvation through baptism. Remain in a state of grace. That's all it takes. That's the simple process. Have you done those things? Have you turned away from your sins? And the Catholic reality for many of us is that we were baptized when we were children. And so others repented of their sins and repented on our behalf and professed belief on our behalf, which is a good thing because they did not want our souls to be damned for eternity. They wanted us to know the grace of God and to know it as early as possible so that we could live a fuller life in Christ for the rest of our life. What a gift that is. But we need to take on the responsibility of owning that, of not forgetting the cost, of not losing the joy of the fact that we walk around with a badge of salvation on our soul that we can easily toss aside by paying attention to the draws and the temptations of the world. Repent, believe, receive, remain. Never forget the cost and never lose the joy. I love how this passage, the second reading says, everything is subject to him. Everything is subject to Jesus. There is nothing to fear in the midst of that joy. Jesus has power and authority over anything that could come against us. So do not let anything distract you from the joy of salvation, brothers and sisters. Do not let anyone or anything cause you to doubt it. Share it with everyone. In fact, this passage that we're reading this week, it's immediately after Peter writes the very famous verse, always be ready to give an explanation to anyone who asks you for a reason for your hope. But do it with gentleness and reverence, keeping your conscience clear, so that when you are maligned, those who defame your good conduct in Christ may themselves be put to shame. Always be ready to give an explanation to anyone who asks for a reason for your hope. Are you always ready? Is that readiness on your lips because the joy is something you cannot help but experience because you cannot forget the cost of what Jesus did for you on the cross? This is what truly matters in brothers and sisters. Not deadlines at work, not making more money, not making sure you can buy that house or get that degree or get that significant other or discern your vocation or figure out what you're doing with your life. None of that matters without salvation in baptism. And none of that should be lost on us. The cost that Jesus paid to win that for us. It's not money, career, education, relationships, hobbies. All those are important things, but this matters most of all. This matters most of all, that Christ suffered for sins once. The righteous for the sake of the unrighteous, that he might lead you to God. All things are subject to him. Never forget the cost. Never lose the joy. Share it with everyone and anyone who will hear because this, brothers and sisters, this is what matters most. Do not forget it. Live your life with joy this week that no matter what's going on, no matter what suffering you're facing, in the words of St. Teresa of Avila, even the most difficult life on earth will seem but one night in an inconvenient motel when we get to heaven. The mercy, the love, 
the abundance that God has in store for you. As, by, as the Bible says, eye is not seen and ear is not heard, nor can the human heart fully come to know what glorious things are in store for those who love him. That is what awaits you. Do not forget the cost that Jesus paid to win salvation for you. Never lose the joy of the fact that if you are baptized, you've been given that gift of salvation. Do not lose it. Do not fall into sin. Do not pay attention to the ways of the enemy or the ways of this world seeking to cause you to fall into temptation of the world, the flesh, and the devil to derail you from this glorious walk toward heaven. Share this with everyone and everyone. This is what matters most. God bless you, my brothers and sisters. That is all I have for you this week. Live with joy. Please live with joy. Don't be a grumpy Catholic. We have enough of those. And until next time, I will see you in the Eucharist. God bless. Bye.